0: Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. It is August the 6th, 2015. And what's going on in the news this week? Well, as you may or may not know, the uh, BCA Trade Show is uh, began yesterday. That's going on down there in Las Vegas. And uh, at the same time, as a matter of fact... There is, uh, the Junior Nationals are going on at the same facility, so, uh, we want to wish all of those Juniors the best of luck in their matches, that it should be some good pool going on down there, and, uh, also, if you haven't heard already, there is a new player ranking system in development as we speak, uh, it's being known, or being called the Fargo Rate, because, uh, it sort of originated up in, uh, the Fargo region of North Dakota uh, Mike Page is a, a big uh, part of that and uh, it's being picked up and promoted by Q Sports International so we'll see how that all kind of turns out. We're hoping to get Mike Page on the show next week to uh, give us kind of the rundown, the explicit uh, information as far as how that all works so we're kind of looking forward to that and uh, A little bit later in the show today, uh, we're going to be talking with Mr. Will Prout. He is the uh, founder, proprietor, uh, not the founder, but the current proprietor of the International Q Collector Show that's also coming up here in a few weeks. So we're going to be talking with him a little bit more about the history of that and and, uh, what's going on with the show and uh, where to go see it and when. So stick around for that. But uh, first, I was going to share with you a little uh, interesting story I ran across in the news. It just so happens that uh, on this week, the first week of August, 134 years ago, now, you have to keep in mind, this was before television, this was before radio, this was before football. And in fact, it was just the dawn of the electrical age. So this week, 134 years ago, in Paris, they were holding an electrical exhibition where they uh, got together a bunch of the different developers from various countries that were working on electrical devices for the first time. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to look back at uh, how primitive things were prior to uh, the advent of electricity and wires running all over every place. And uh, it's particularly interesting to to note in the article that I was reading with some of the things that they imagined right off the bat that electricity would be good for. And, you know, all the normal things that you might think of, uh, you know, light bulbs and uh, old stage lighting and electrical motors and stuff like that. But at this exhibition, the interesting thing was that... Uh, they had these different developers of the technology, almost like a software exposition, where uh, you would have different developers of the technology displaying the different uses for it. So the newspaper article describes how one room will be set up to show off this kind of use for it, and another room will be set up for this kind of use for it. And they mentioned that uh, there was one room in particular, rooms three and four, were going to be arranged like an apartment with bedrooms, drawing rooms, dining rooms, a billiard room, a library, and a kitchen. And they specifically made mention of the fact that the electricity was going to be used uh, for an electric marking board for billiards. So electric Marking board, you know, it makes you wonder what exactly that meant by that. Is that like a light-up scoreboard or is it an, uh, a marking board that's just lit with lights? But uh, to think that prior to some of the more important electrical developments, they were already figuring out a way to use electricity to the advantage of the billiard players. So... Hats off to these electrical developers 134 years ago for thinking of us first. We appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it's come a long way since then. Stick around. We're going to get to your one-minute pull instructor right after this.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Lee. I'm Randy G. And welcome to the One-Minute pool Instructor. <coughs> This week, uh, we've got a topic that I hear over and over and over again, particularly even with better players. When to play safe and when
2: not to. When to duck and when not, huh? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I've got a strong opinion on it. And and let's use me as as the first example. I'm a fairly aggressive eight-ball or nine-ball player. I will attempt to run out and sometimes get myself into a little problem, but I can get out of that too most of the time. So playing safeties, here's how I look at it. A safety should give me a ball in hand. That's our goal. That's our goal. So just playing safety is is not the proper attitude. You you play a ball up by the pocket, you play a ball to get a ball in jeopardy, and you try to stop the gentleman from advancing, all right? Um, If you don't get ball in hand, that wasn't a safety. I I have another rule of thumb, Scott, that if the shot and the safety are equal, mm-hmm. shoot the shot. Sure. I mean, if, if the safety is just as hard as shooting the shot, you might as well take the advantage and go.
1: Well, and that's a whole other thing to learn is how to see easy safety opportunities. Most people can't recognize them.
2: Well, after the break, yeah. you immediately know what balls are going to be your safety balls and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Not the balls you can shoot in, but here's an opportunity to hide a ball under two balls. Absolutely, and a lot of
1: times the best eight ball players will make a ball and duck right, right, right away. Right away and get ball in hand. Sure. I know, it's
2: uh, yeah. We grew up with some of the greatest eight ball players, and, and no doubt about it, they duck and hide early. Well, the
1: absolute worst thing you can do is run a rack down to the last one or two balls and miss.
2: Oh yeah, and you're screwed yeah, yeah. then. Or or miss on the eight ball. Yeah, a good player will never let you have a fair shot. That's right, that's right, absolutely. So I don't know, I I think safeties is is like the jump shot. Yeah, it is. It's there, and whether you choose it or not, it's up to you. But I'm gonna tell you, I think I win a lot of games playing safeties. And a part of safety play is something
1: we call two way shots. Two way shots. Where if you make the ball, you have another shot, and if you miss, you're leaving your opponent tough. You do leave them tough, that's right. All right, so that's a great thing to talk about. Well, for the One Minute Pool Instructor, I'm Scott Lee. This is Randy G. And thanks for listening on American Billiard Radio.
0: All right, everybody, I'm back, and I am talking with uh, Mr. Will Prout. He is the proprietor of the International... Q Collector Show. How are you doing today, Will?
3: I'm doing fine, Mr. Bond. Good
0: talking to you. Good, good, good. Well, welcome to the show. We haven't, I don't think we've ever had you on here yet, have we?
3: You have not, but it's kind of nice. I haven't spoken to you since last time I spoke to you.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, this is the the time of year. Uh, everybody's headed out west, uh, you know, for a number of reasons. There's uh the BCA trade shows going on and uh, the actually the junior nationals are going on at the same time. And, uh, and if we head up to Colorado, there's an international queue show that's about to take place. Could you tell us a little bit about that, Mr. Prout?
3: I sure can. Uh, it's called the international queue collector show, the ICCS, mm-hmm. And, the ICCS is kind of the granddaddy of all collectible Q shows on the planet. the Goal being to be the best uh, show, uh, not not the largest, uh, the best. In kind of car, uh, you know, I like cars, uh, and in kind of car show parlance, we're aiming to be more like Pebble Beach Concourse, uh, not necessarily a good guy show. Good guy <laughs> shows are thousands of cars. We're not, but. We do have great cues at the show. Sure. So let me give you a little background. This is our 13th show. Okay. The the first one uh, was in 2002, uh, founded by Bill Stroud of Joss West Cues. He and I and another gentleman, Tony Martino, uh, had a a dinner in uh, March of 2002 and, and talked through Bill's ideas. And it came uh, to fruition uh, at Ruedoso, New Mexico in the fall. Uh, In fact, Bill hosted it at his home. Uh, Very nice one. And since then, uh, I've taken the show over from Bill. It has moved. uh, uh, We move it west one year, then east the next year so that people can uh, come for the day and enjoy seeing cues they otherwise might not ever see, just hear about. Mm -hmm. But in... uh, 2003, uh, Marina Del Rey, California. 2004, Park City, Utah. Moved east in 2005 to West Palm Beach, Florida. Back to the west in 2006, Lake Las Vegas. Uh, down to Houston 2007. And we were in the middle of the country in Kansas City. In fact, uh, I hosted it that year, 2008. Down to uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico in 2009. That was a... Great show! Actually coincided with the 400th anniversary of the city of Santa Fe, oh. uh, as well as their the weekend of their national art show. So that was a lot of fun. Wow. 2010, we were back to Florida in uh, Sarasota. 2011, St. Louis, right across from the Arch and uh, and the Cardinal Stadium, uh, right when they were in the playoffs. By the way. <laughs> 2012, uh, back to Las Vegas. Uh, at Red Rock, a wonderful facility. 2013, we were down in in Atlanta in uh, Buckhead, uh, one of my favorite diners there, the Buckhead Diner. People are familiar with that. Uh, This year, uh, the show will be in um, Westminster, Colorado, uh, back toward the west again. It's being held at the west in Westminster. The show is uh, open to the public on August 29th uh, just in a few weeks, uh, when it's open to the public, it will be on Saturday, uh, from, uh, one till about five Uh, there'll be a modest, uh, entry fee. I think it's 10 bucks or something to enter. Uh, but it, uh, I think you would find as well worth the time and, and, uh, mm-hmm. entry if you're in the area or take a short drive to come. It's, uh, something to see. Yeah. The show is invitational, uh, there are several types of people who exhibit. There are cue makers, and they are uh, the best in the world, and they actually, although primarily uh, in the United States, there are cue makers who have exhibited from around the world, from Germany, from uh, Japan, from Taiwan. Uh, The collectors are a a group of wonderful people who have uh, the not only the biggest, but the best collections of cues uh, from across the decades and and even uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. And you'll see, uh, you know, special cues made whether it be by uh, uh, Balabushka or Gus Sambode or Spain or Tad or Josh West or Gina Cue, Chick Southwest. Uh, you know, the uh, collectors have have all sorts of high end cues. Uh, the, there are casemakers. <laughs> we mm-hmm. have three uh, ICCS casemakers. Uh, there, there is uh, Phil Eastwood, who lives right in Colorado. Phil makes unbelievable cases. Uh, Jack Justice and, and John Barton. Mm-hmm. Uh, John is attending this year with some of his uh, fanciest uh, tool cases. Uh, we also, uh, by the way, I should mention in terms of cue makers, uh, you know, there, there are, uh, not, not all the makers exhibit each year, but it's, it's quite a list. Right. right. Uh, Rich, Richard Black, R- Richard Chudy, uh, Joey Gold from Cognoscenti, Andy Gilbert mm-hmm. from not far from me in uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, Bob Manzino from Florida, uh, Jerry McWhorter uh, from California, Chris Nitty from Florida. Paul Drexler, a wonderful cue maker from uh, down east in Connecticut. Uh, Sam Serra, uh, Jim, Jim Stodden from up north. Uh, Bill Schick from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Kuhn, Pete Tonkin. Bill Stroud has exhibited, uh, obviously, many times.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: We also have three uh, new uh, provisional cue makers this year exhibiting for the first time. Josh Treadway, Chris Byrne. Uh, also from Colorado, uh, uh, Mike Durbin from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandra Brady, who is a world-renowned um, scrimshander, uh, will be uh, at the show. Uh, so it's, it's uh, quite quite a lift. I should mention the collectors uh, briefly. The uh, I'll, I'll be exhibiting in Tom Waters from mm-hmm. Arizona. Tom is the owner of Recollection Cues. Uh, Ken Kerner from New York, uh, Rick Golden, Keith Walton from Illinois, uh, Johnny Gonzalez from Texas. From Japan, with unbelievable tad cues, will be Adeo O'Hara and Kiyoharu, uh Kagomiya. Benny Glenn comes regularly, now living in Nevada, has the uh, biggest collection of Nala uh, Bushkas, I think, on the planet, as well as Zambodis. but Right As well, unbelievable antique uh, uh, stuff as well. Bob Hopman, uh, Bob and Carol Hopman, Stan Haynes. Uh, the list goes on and on of unbelievable uh, collectors with their collections. Uh, Nick Varner, by the way, I get a kick out of introducing Nick as a collector, but Nick has a great collection of cues. He He's exhibiting again this year. Uh, Phil Windham, uh, Nick's good friend from Chattanooga. Terry McCool, Uh, maybe you've heard of Lucky Hishinuma. Uh, I'm not sure if Lucky can make it this year. Lucky has exhibited many times. Don Owen from Texas, Don and uh, Anita Owen. And I know I've left people out, but you get a sense that it is uh, an interesting uh, group of collections.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I have seen – I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of those, and, uh, man – It's, uh, I think the word amazing doesn't really, um, do it justice. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) That's, that's, it's, uh, it's mind blowing. I think is more, is more along the lines that, um. David,
3: you you came in on Saturday to the Atlanta show.
0: Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. It was. It was. good, Good to see you there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was, uh. I was like, uh, you know, a kid in a candy store, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you you just don't know what to look at first. Um, and you know, I, I'm going to sound like a klutz talking about this because I'm not a cue maker. Um, but, uh, it's, it's funny because you'll see things not only that you didn't even know that you knew that you didn't even know you liked yet but you also see things that you didn't that you don't even know can be done you know around the edge of a queue there there was some stuff where i was just my mind was blown i thought wow you know how do you even do that these guys have to sit around with you know microscopes and tweezers or something because there is a, it's just an amazing thing and with that in mind i'm i have a question for you um, you know what got you interested in the cues to begin with?
3: Huh, that's a tough one. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, grew up in a small town in Ohio and, uh, along the way I moved to, uh, Canton, Ohio and played in a pool room where there were a number of top, top players. And sure. in fact, that's where I first met, uh, Nick Varner in, uh, 74, 75. But, but the, um, the Purim, uh I played in uh, had all kinds of cues uh, sure. in it. You know, I, I played with uh, uh, what I considered to be a fancy Palmer, a Model mm-hmm. J. But in, in the uh, room were, were Gus and George and Burton and Tad and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had my fancy Joss West, and uh, I saw another cue that I liked and decided to uh, sell my Joss West and in fact, I was buying another Josh West at the time, as as I recall, and uh, when it came in, I couldn't bring myself to sell the first one, so I just decided to keep <laughs> it. Wor- worst decision of my life. Because uh, of course, why would why would somebody need two Qs, right? Right, right.
0: Now oh, that's <laughs> so th- funny.
3: there I was, there I was with two, and and I suppose the chase was on.
0: Oh, well, you know the um uh, the history behind it is um, it's pretty fascinating to be honest with you. Um, a lot of people may not necessarily realize this, but uh, cues have been decorated as it were, for almost as long as they've been playing with them exclusively. I mean, there are there's marquetry cues that go back into the 1700s or early 1800s, as the case may be. And not only that, but uh, in the 1860s, 70s, and probably up into the 1880s, it was not uncommon at a championship match for that to be one of the prizes of the match. Would be some kind of a custom, de- highly decorated cue with some gold or some diamonds or you know something elaborate in it. And if you look back through the historic records, you can um, you can find people talking about it back in the 1860s, the difference between playing with sort of a plain Jane type of a cue versus playing with um, highly decorated cues. So it's it's not something that is new, per se, but uh, it's something that's been brought to light, I guess, maybe in the last 50 or 60 years or so, you know, where people actually make a point of collecting them specifically because of the makers and because of the styles and whatnot. Do you have a, um, a particular style that you're more fond of than another?
3: Well, I do. And you probably know that. (laughs) I, uh, I like what, what is called a box cue, which is a cue that does not have points in the forearm. It has rectangles. And I've got a a pretty large uh, collection of those several dozen. It's funny. You mentioned marketry cues. I've got, a marketry cue from the early, uh, probably 1825, 1830.
4: Mm-hmm. That
3: there was a, John uh, was in uh, Paris on business in the 70s, and happened to uh, call back to his brother in Arkansas and said, "Hey, there's this auction going on this weekend, and there are a couple of these really fancy marketry cues at auction. Are you interested in me picking one up?" And and the brother said, "Of course." So, end up getting both marquetry cues, brought them back to Arkansas, and along the way, I ended up with one of them. But they are just uh, unbelievably detailed uh, mm-hmm. cues. I, I appreciate your comments on
0: that. Oh well, sure. That you know, and well, and for the listeners, in, in case you don't know what that means, um, they would take different materials, different woods, and literally create a scene. Or a elaborate design into the butt of the queue. And, I mean, painstaking doesn't even begin to describe it. You know, this is just, you, you know, it's art and craftsmanship in one, you know, beautiful ball of wax there. The the time it would have taken back then by hand-tooling everything is just astounding to think, you know, the the time and effort that it took to do that kind of stuff. With, with without what? modern what? machinery you know
3: I was just gonna say what no cNC yeah
0: no yeah no uh matter of fact it was probably using hand cranked lathes and things like that you know or a foot pedal lathe or something along those lines that's, to, that's right that's to, exactly to, right you know because right. I mean that was back even before you had steam factories you know some of the middle uh you know early 1900s, um, and this is kind of a, a side story, but it's funny. Um, I was talking to um, Skip Nemetscheck from Tweetin, and we found some photographs in an old billiards magazine of um, sort of like the back room of the shop of his grandfather. Now, th- this was still, you know, kekheifer, uh, and they had one of the steam plants where. You know, and outside the building, they would have a a steam boiler and it would have um, a piston mechanism on it to run one turbine. And then they would take these leather belts and run them to several different machines at the same time. So you would have a drill press or a lathe or, you know, a punch machine. And they were all running off the same steam generated system, but they would have belts strung all over the room, all going back to the same thing. So I was showing the you know the the photograph to Nemecik, and he said, you know, that's it's funny. That's a really interesting photo. The sad thing is, we still have some of those machines, and we still use them. So <laughs> <laughs> they're running funny. running on some <laughs> ancient technology in there. I don't think uh, too many of the guys that make cues these days would uh, would appreciate you know the the old steam powered uh, junk like that. Wow. But but nonetheless, um, what? Okay, another question for you. What? Uh, in your opinion, um, it, and this is sort of a you know a, a question of relativity. In and, and Will Prout's mind, what is so fascinating about these cues? That I mean, it's it's a given that there's a lot of work and craftsmanship and artistry that goes into something like this. But why is that so fascinating? Why do people? Why do well, you? Why do people want to collect this? What does it mean?
3: Well, I like them. Some- for the functional art. You know, I grew up uh, from uh, the age of 11 or 12 playing pool, uh, went for a lot of years, couldn't, couldn't have one. And then I could have one and I did. And I, I just really liked it. You know, a lot of times David, people will ask me, what do I look for in a queue? Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of is a corollary to the question you just asked. I actually, when I, when I think of cues, I think of three things. I think of, first of all, playability. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I'm leveraging the term functional art that I said a a moment ago. But when I think of any cue that I have or any that I'm looking at, I think of, number one, playability, uh, no wall hangers. I think of uh, design, you know, how is the cue designed? And I think of execution, Mm -hmm. how well is it built? And uh, some people say, what do you mean the difference between design and execution? Well, I mean, somebody could design a, uh, for example, a Bart Simpson cue,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and then when he executed or built it, he, maybe he built it flawlessly, but I may not be interested in, in a Bart Simpson design. So <laughs> anyway, if if you think of cues, you know, think of, uh, I would recommend playability, uh, design, and execution. Right. And if you're thinking about buying a cue, or maybe buying several, and then ultimately, what do you do? You know, I, I would just give. You know, I've been doing it a lot of years. I would just say, the first thing that ought to be on your mind when you buy a queue is, do you like it?
0: Right. Right. And
3: and uh, uh, you know, you, you don't want to pay too much for a queue but you want to be sure you like it. It's tough to buy one to just buy and sell it, right. flipping. Particularly in this market, is is tough. But anytime you buy something, you know, you might be thinking that's. That's Valhalla, you know I'll keep that forever, but could be a time when you don't so an exit strategy you know can i uh, can I sell it is important too sure uh, so uh, not only is it important for you to like them, but it's important for others to like them so uh, always keep that in mind as well when you're looking to buy a queue of some sort,
0: sure, sure now is there a is there a why that you can throw on top of that, and what I mean by that is. Um, you know, let's just say you had identical cues. Everything about them was the same. Let's say you had three, you know, same everything, same quality, same design, same everything. But the difference was the three different makers that produced them. Is there something about, is there a mystique about a particular person or, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to call any particular maker out, what I'm saying is, does does their personality, does their legend, does their reputation, does their um, uh, does their particular style of craftsmanship, the way that they do something, does that make a difference to you? Absolutely, to uh, you. You know yeah. what I mean?
3: To, to, to me as well, absolutely. I have settled myself on any any collector start starts out with. Buying and then if they're not careful they start buy buy buy, mm-hmm. and then they sit down by themselves one night and go, what the heck do I have here? Right. I need to uh, fine tune this, and so they they sell a few. They start to hone hone their collection, and then they maybe build it a little bit more, and then sit down again and say, what am I doing? Uh, I need to right I
0: need to
3: hone my collection. Right. But if you had if you had uh, to your question three cues that were identical laying on the table how would i know which one i would want to keep
0: yeah well something well, should yeah, mean yeah. something to you You know what i mean one of them oh, sure. should mean something to you
3: Yeah, one one might be one that i've had a long time since sure. my youth
0: right right
3: that would be more important than the one next to it Mm-hmm. What uh, each cue maker, as they make their cues, they could look identical on the table, right? But they could play, they could play differently. Cue makers build their cues uh, differently, uh, right? Um, you know the way they make uh, the shafts, the taper on the shafts, the way they make the joint, the type of pin, right. uh, how thick the cue is in the handle, right. right? All of that goes into the hit, and what I might like. Or, if you will, my ideal hit on a queue might be different than yours. Sure. And so those three cues laying on the table, uh, I might grab the second one, but you might like the third one. hmm And, you know, that, that's kind of like why there's Fords and Chevys. You know, everybody <laughs> right. likes things a lo- little bit differently.
0: Yeah, this is true. This is true. All right. Well, you know, uh, geez, um, I think we've covered all the bases here as far as the basics are concerned. Um, we have all the information about the show and most certainly if, uh, if any of you guys are in the area or if you're, like he said, if you're within a pleasant drive distance, then you should come out. Um, there's, um, another special, uh, a little addition to the show this year. I understand. Um, that's a lead in, <laughs> uh,
3: the special collection, <laughs>
0: special collection. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about all, that.
3: All, but I need to talk about the special collection, but, but, but let me ask you something. Yeah, there's there's a, a new element potentially to the show this year, and it deals with yes. or has to do with antiques right. and ephemera. Right. And David, you're one of the world's uh, biggest and best on that. Let me <laughs> let me ask you to speak to that a moment.
0: Well, what we are hoping to do is get out to the show this year and join you guys. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that collect cues. Uh, not necessarily just as a standalone cue collector, but because they collect billiard, uh, you know, paraphernalia, ephemera, and you know, all of the stuff that's related to the history of it. So uh, we thought it would be a good idea to get out there and bring some of these artifacts and documents and you know, different things that's, that are hiding in people's collections that the general public doesn't normally get to see. So uh, if you guys come out to the show this year, there will be a couple of extra surprises on the table for you guys to see. Uh, we'll have some fun stuff to share with you guys, and uh, it, it it should be definitely well worth the trip. So uh,
3: that would be amazing, David. Amazing. I
0: am yeah. I'm I have high hopes for it, and I, and I just can't wait to get out there. I'm I'm really excited about it. So tell us about this uh, special collection that you got. Or? Yeah,
3: I was, at, when you teed up the question, it made me realize I had forgotten uh, to mention our special
0: collection. Yeah, that's gonna. Once. Ex- I'm I'm sorry. Uh, it's I'm I'm excited about the theme, and that's why I wanted to hear let you talk about it. Go ahead.
3: Okay, so just briefly, each each year uh, we offer, and it's voluntary on the part of the exhibiting uh, cue makers. They're welcome to make a cue that goes into a special collection, and the collection differs each year according to a theme, uh, and over the years we've had, uh, you know, one year was European royalty. Another year was, uh, uh black and white cues. And in fact, the first year when, when Tony Martino and, and Bill Stroud and I met, that's where the idea of a collection, a special collection started. And Tony commented that he liked black and white cues. And I, I actually said, you know, I've got, at the time I had a, a 1988, uh, 35th anniversary Corvette, uh, very low miles on it, six miles. in it. and, uh, but it reminded me of a tuxedo. It was a very formally dressed car. Mm-hmm. So I said, Tony, you could call your collection, the tuxedo collection. Yeah. And, uh, which he did. In fact, that's kind of where I think the, uh, the whole notion of black and white cues being called tuxedo cues. That's where that probably germinated. But anyway, each year, uh, the theme has been different. This year, it is uh, the great cities of the world, and and, the key makers, again, uh, of their volition, can select a city. Uh, There will only be one of a given city, and the cities could be uh, anywhere from London to Paris to San Francisco or Venice, or, uh, you know, according to the the key makers' desires. Mm-hmm. And then those cues will be put into a special uh, grouping on exhibit, but also will be auctioned uh, uh, individually and sold separately uh, at the show. And the auction begins uh, early during the show, but will run throughout uh, all day, well, at least till three o'clock on Saturday uh, on the day the public comes. And anybody from the public that's there that wants to, uh, enter into the private bidding on one of these cues is welcome to in fact in the past many times the cues have have sold to people who come saturday only so mm-hmm. they're usually unbelievable cues uh great value and good prices so right that's a fun part of the show as well
0: yeah i'm i am i'm stoked i hope we end up with the chicago cue can uh I'm not gonna ask you to reveal what you know about the cities yet we'll we'll just let that be a surprise, but uh, <laughs> I'm hoping for a Chicago queue. What was the theme um in Atlanta
3: uh, i I forget offhand
0: I was trying to remember I I knew what it was, but I can't remember now okay, never mind <coughs> excuse me I just remember I, looking I at remember, them. that was
3: that might have been the the uh, the no, it wasn't the Broward Collection. Offhand, I can't remember.
0: Okay. Well, that's not a big deal. I, that was just for my own personal gratification, so it's all right. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, well, I thank you uh, 1,000 times for taking the time uh, to talk to us all and uh, for all the information. And, of course, thank you for keeping the show uh, running, and uh, we look forward to meeting with you out there in uh, Westminster and uh,
3: uh david yes let, let me just end it let, let me uh, let me just say saturday august 29th that's it uh 1 to 5 30 or so august 29th uh, at the western western westminster westminster is a uh, suburb of uh, uh denver. denver north edge of uh, denver right so if if you can come if anybody has a has a you know, a question or one uh, about the show or the cues, or uh, when I talk cues in general, I can be reached through uh, AZ Billiards. Uh, um, you know, send me a PM. My my moniker on AZ is I Buy Cues, mm-hmm. or or my uh, email is prout five eight zero nine at aol dot com. Right there, you go.
0: Now they know how to get a hold of you, and uh, yeah. I'm sure Will it makes himself available on a regular basis, so it's not hard to get a hold of him. All right, well, well, thanks again. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks to listeners out there. We will talk to you again next week on American. Thank you, David. Yes, sir, on American Billiard Radio.